We're going to be continuing our fall evening sermon series on prayer tonight. I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 18 tonight. This is going to be a conversation between Abraham and God. Uh, Before I read, actually, I should mention a couple other books that have really helped shape this sermon series and this sermon tonight. Uh, Timothy Keller recently wrote a book on prayer that I've drawn from a lot. And then John White, quite a number of years ago, wrote a book called Daring to Draw Near. You could probably pick up an echo of that in this sermon series being called Drawing Near. So a couple books helpful for my own prayer life, also helpful for this sermon series. So credit where credit is due. And now let's read from Genesis chapter 18. This is God's word for us tonight. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. And once again he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. So the first point we'll be looking at from this text for tonight is that the Lord treats Abraham as a friend. The Lord treats Abraham as a friend. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a classic movie about Chicago. And Bueller is one of those people who can get along with just about everybody and get away with just about anything. He's well-connected. He knows how to make people like him. He knows how to maneuver around people and work systems to get what he wants. And what he wants on the day of the movie is to have a day off school and just go and see Chicago. So he works out a scheme, and he and a couple friends hit the city. 
They see the Art Institute, the Sears Tower, Wrigley Field, and a lot of other iconic parts of Chicago. Watching the movie actually is a great way to get a tour of mid-1980s Chicago. You can see all kinds of things. But one of the more unique features of the movie is that Bueller often breaks the fourth wall and talks directly to the audience. Most of the time in TV or in movies, the characters stay inside the story. They interact with others in the story, and there's sort of this imaginary, they call it the fourth wall, between the characters and the audience. But one of the unique things, or one of the more interesting things from a film perspective, is that Bueller will often break the fourth wall. He'll turn, he'll turn from whatever action is going on, and he'll look right into the camera, and he'll talk to the audience. He'll give advice. He'll explain what's going on. And in fact, the movie ends with Bueller coming out and looking at the audience and saying, basically, what are you still doing here? It's over. Go home. From a film perspective, Bueller's turns toward the audience are one of the more interesting things about the movie. But that turn toward the audience isn't anything new. Many passages in the Bible actually have that same dynamic. The story will be rolling on and then there'll be this aside that often the rest of the characters in the story don't know about, but that provides some new information for us as the audience. Some things that the readers know that maybe the characters inside the story don't know. And verses 17 to 19 in Genesis chapter 18 are an aside like that. In those verses, we're allowed to see what the Lord is thinking. Before those verses, after those verses, the Lord has been talking directly to Abraham, but in those verses, God speaks an aside. And you don't really need, you can skip verses 17 to 19 in reading Genesis chapter 18, and you still get the story. You don't need those verses, but those verses tell us something about the rest of the passage. The divine aside in those verses tells us something about the nature of the rest of the conversation that we read for tonight. And among other things, it tells us that this conversation is a conversation among friends. One commentator says that the point of these verses is to show Abraham as Yahweh's unexpected associate. Yahweh's unexpected associate. It's unexpected that the Lord would invite Abraham into his council. It's like the Lord has invited Abraham into a heavenly board meeting. You wouldn't expect God to bring some lowly human being up into his council. Creatures are way down there. They don't get to give God advice. They don't get to ask questions. You'd expect the Lord to give commands, to lay down directives. But instead, in these verses, the Lord shows us that he's thinking of Abraham as a friend. He intends to have a conversation with Abraham. And that might bring John 15 to mind. In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. God treats his people as his friends, not just as his servants. One dynamic of prayer is that the Lord invites us to come and to speak to him as friends. Our prayers are a conversation between the great God of the universe and us poor, small, little people. But one dynamic of prayer 
is that God has chosen to draw us into his presence and he's chosen to treat us as his friends, as his family even. And so when we pray, we can pray with boldness and with confidence. But even as we do that, even as we have these friendly conversations with God, we need also to pray with humility. The Lord invites Abraham into this conversation about the next steps the Lord is going to take, but the Lord is the one who begins that conversation and determines what it's going to look like. In our text for today, the the conversation starts with verse 20, when the Lord tells Abraham that he's basically going to go and put Sodom and Gomorrah on trial. And the implication there, it's not stated, but the implication is that if there's a guilty verdict, the Lord is going to bring destruction. And Abraham responds to that news, and we'll get to that back and forth in a minute. But it's key here that God begins the conversation, and God determines what the conversation is going to be about. God treats us as his friends, but our prayers are always based on the reality that God has spoken first. God chooses to bring us into fellowship with him, but also it's his words and his word that define the conversation. So now let's move on to Abraham's response to God. And Abraham responds to the beginning of this conversation by questioning God. The Lord treats Abraham as a friend. He invites him into his counsel. And Abraham responds by questioning God. There's this book by Gary Schmidt called OK For Now. It's a sort of children's young adult book. And the hero of that book is a skinny thug named Doug. His family has just moved from the big city to this small town where his dad got a job as a factory worker. And Doug's family's got a lot of dysfunction, all kinds of trouble. His dad is abusive. And Doug is just a really abrasive kid at the beginning of the book. But as Smith develops this book, there's a couple themes that are pretty important for Doug. One is he happens to hang out at the library because it's the only place to go in this little town. And one of the librarians takes an interest in him and shows him this rare book the library has. It's tremendously valuable, probably worth more than the whole library. It's a book by Autobahn, and it's these huge drawings of different birds. And this librarian takes Doug under his wings And he shows him how to draw. He teaches him from this book of beautiful drawings of birds how to draw. And Doug begins to thrive as an artist. And then in another sort of subplot of the book, Doug happens to win a contest at the company picnic for the factory his dad works for. And through that, he develops a little bit of a relationship with the factory owner, with this great, powerful, and also good man. And as that relationship develops, this guy becomes sort of a grandfather figure that Doug had never had. And at one point, he invites Doug over to play horseshoes, and they end up in his office. And when Doug walks into the office, he looks up, and he sees a page from that Autobahn book hanging in this factory owner's office. The town council has been treating that book as sort of a, a, bank, a bank account. Whenever they need some money, pave the streets, fix the snowplow, redo a roof... They go and they cut one of the pages out of this tremendously valuable book and they sell it to somebody. Anybody who's got the cash, they'll sell this thing to. And so Doug walks in and he feels betrayed. This good man has been part of vandalizing this great book that's changed Doug's life. So the factory owner sees Doug looking at this picture and he says, that is a great drawing, isn't it? I am so glad I have it. What do you think of it? 
And Doug looks at the picture and he says, that is a beautiful picture and it belongs back in the book in the library. And the factory owner's secretary almost falls over with shock because here's this punk kid from a dysfunctional family coming in and telling this gracious factory owner, this town council member, this great person what to do. And that's a little bit of the dynamic that we have here with Abraham and the Lord. Like Doug in Okay For Now, Abraham's been invited into this special place, into this place of power, and his conduct seems honestly pretty rude, pretty disrespectful. Verse 20 phrases it as if God is just going to go check out the cities, but the implication is that he's going to destroy them. And Abraham knew those cities. His nephew Lot lived there. Just a couple chapters before in Genesis, Abraham had gone out and saved most of the population of those cities after they'd lost a war and been taken captive. These are people Abraham knew. These are people Abraham had saved from destruction not that long ago. And now the Lord tells Abraham he's going to destroy them all. Now Abraham's God is going to wipe this whole, these whole cities out it seems like suddenly Abraham is confronted with a God he doesn't understand. He thought God was just and faithful and righteous. But now, now what is he supposed to think? And so Abraham sets out to try to understand God. He asks a number of questions in verses 23 to 25. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do this. Will the judge of all the earth not do what's right? And the NIV translates that phrase, far be it from you. It's in there a couple times. But what it really is more like is this is profane. This is unholy. This is not right. Basically, Abraham is saying to God, Lord, how can you be like this? This is really messed up. I mean, really messed up. What are you doing here, God? Basically, Abraham is asking God, who are you? Abraham is getting in God's face, and we might wonder if that's okay. Is that really allowed? But the Lord has intentionally set up the situation this way. The Lord has set Abraham up to stand in the judge's place for a moment. He's putting Abraham in a situation to comment on the righteousness of the Lord himself. A lot of the manuscripts we have of the Old Testament say in verse 22 that Abraham is standing before the Lord. But there's a lot of even older manuscripts that say the Lord is standing before Abraham. Now that's a subtle grammatical change, but what it makes a difference in is who is the judge and who is on trial here. If Abraham is standing before the Lord, then Abraham is the one who needs to be on the defensive. But if the Lord is standing before Abraham, then Abraham is the one who's supposed to be asking the questions. So God is asking Abraham to speak on this issue. He's inviting input from Abraham on this plan. And Abraham again responds by questioning God. But notice how Abraham questions God. He doesn't start yelling about how his nephew Lot and his family are in the city. He doesn't tell God off. He doesn't put himself in judgment on God. Instead, he puts God himself back in the driver's seat. 
he asked God, you, are you really going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Are you going to do this? Are you, the great judge, really not going to practice justice and righteousness? Abraham pleads with God based on God's own character. When Abraham doesn't, doesn't understand what God is up to, he pleads with God based on what God has already shown himself to Abraham. Now we too are invited and encouraged to question God sometimes. We're invited to respond to God with questions and with pleading. When God does things or seems to be doing things that we don't understand, we're invited with Abraham to bring our questions to God. And when we don't understand what God speaks to us in his word in the Bible, we're invited to approach God himself and ask, what is going on? But like Abraham, we believers always approach God based on what God has already said to us. Even when we question God, we question God on the basis of what he's shown to us, of who he's shown himself to be. And so when we see injustice in the world, we go to God and say, God, aren't you the God of justice? So how can you allow this? And when we suffer terrible things in our own lives, we go to God and we say, why are you? Why are you our faithful, loving, holy, righteous God allowing these terrible things to happen to us? And sometimes we go and we say, God, if you are who we think you are, it seems like you should change the world. And in one way, that's what Abraham sets out to do here. But really what Abraham is doing in this passage is coming to know God better. The real point of Abraham's request in this section is that he would come to understand God more deeply. Abraham begins by asking God if he's really going to destroy the righteous with the wicked, and then he puts a number on it. What if there are 50 righteous people? Are you still going to destroy the city if there's 50 righteous people? And then Abraham starts bargaining or even haggling with God. You can kind of picture Abraham on the used car lot here or the used camel lot if you want to go Old Testament. What if it's 5,000? Would you take 5,000? All right, 5,000. What about 4,500? Could you go there? Okay, you can meet me there. What about 4,000? We can do 4,000, right? 4,000 is good. How about 3,000? 2,000? 1,000? It looks like Abraham is haggling, and maybe there's a dynamic of that here. But I think the bigger thing is that Abraham is trying to come to grips with God. Honestly, Abraham doesn't have anything to bargain with here. He has nothing in his hands. He has nothing that he can give God. God is in the driver's seat. God has all the power. So Abraham isn't trying to drive a hard bargain with God here. He's not trying to get the best deal that he can what he's trying to do is come to understand God. He's trying to figure out if God is really as faithful and just and righteous as Abraham had previously experienced him to be. What's really at issue here is not so much the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. What's really at issue here is the character of God. The fate of those cities matters, but what's really important in this text is the character of God. 
And the ultimate point of this conversation is that Abraham comes to know God better. God has made Abraham tremendously uncomfortable. He's talked about, or implied at least, wiping whole cities full of people off the map. And so Abraham is going to God and he's asking, are you really a just God? Are you really a righteous God? Do you really care for the righteous? Abraham is tremendously uncomfortable here and he's taken that discomfort and gone right back to God in prayer. Abraham bargains God down to just 10 people. And then he stops. And we don't know for sure why Abraham stops at 10. But it seems clear that at that point, Abraham was satisfied. In this back and forth with God, Abraham had been assured and reassured that God is just and God is faithful and God is righteous, even when he judges the wicked. Abraham had come to know God better through this conversation, and so Abraham is content. Another of the dynamics of prayer is that prayer reorients us to reality. Prayer enables us to get to a higher elevation where we can look around the landscape of the world and the landscape of our lives and see the big picture better and see what's really going on. Through real sincere prayer, through challenging, sometimes uncomfortable conversations with God, the Lord opens our eyes and gives us a larger vision of what he's doing. Prayer is something we do. In that sense, it's a performative activity. Not a performance, but something that we do. But as we pray, things also happen to us. Prayer is a formative activity. It's a formative activity. Through prayer, God forms us. Through prayer, God changes us. And as we listen to God and as we respond to him, the Lord transforms us. So the Lord treats Abraham as a friend. The Lord opens the conversation. And through their conversation, Abraham comes to know the Lord better. Prayer is a divinely initiated conversation that the Lord uses to transform us. But there's one more thing we need to see tonight. And this last thing is that the Lord responds more graciously than Abraham expected or asked for. The Lord responds with great grace. In that book, Okay for Now, after Doug has his little outburst about how that picture belongs in the book, in the library, for the town, the factory owner obviously could have written him off. He could have thrown him out of his office and just figured that punk kid wasn't worth his time. But instead, the factory owner took those words to heart and he put that picture back in the book in the library. He didn't ask for his money back. He just gave it back because it was the right thing to do. The Lord responds even to our arrogant little requests with greater grace than we could ever anticipate. If you know the rest of the Sodom and Gomorrah story, you know God didn't find 10 righteous people in Sodom. In fact, if you read the next couple chapters, it seems pretty clear that God didn't find one righteous person in Sodom or Gomorrah. And so the Lord brings destruction. But even as God destroys those cities, the Lord saves Abraham's nephew Lot and some of his family. 
And if you notice, in chapter 18, that outcome is never brought up. Abraham doesn't plead for Lot. Abraham doesn't even bring Lot up. But God still saves these members of Abraham's family. Even when we can't understand what he's up to, the Lord is more faithful and more just and more righteous than we expect. And ultimately, God's grace points us, as always, to Jesus. As Abraham pleads with the Lord in this chapter, he gets to smaller and smaller and smaller numbers. And at each number, the Lord says, for that many righteous people, I won't judge the whole city. For 50, 45, 30, 20, 10, I won't judge the whole city. But God doesn't even find one righteous person there. And that's the human story. If we look through human history for righteous people, for truly perfectly righteous people, we would not find ten. But we would find one. And the principle this text gives us is that the Lord is willing to have even a very few, maybe even one righteous person save a whole mass of humanity. The point isn't the specific numbers. The point is that the power of a truly righteous person overcomes evil in judgment. And in Jesus, we find that one truly righteous person. All of humanity is wrapped up in sin and wickedness. If God looked down at the whole world at any point in history, he'd find what he found in Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe sometimes things are a little better. Maybe sometimes things are a little worse. But we're all sinful and we're all doomed. But in Jesus, God comes to save us. In Jesus, God turns us from being his enemies into being his friends. And in Jesus, God comes and he speaks to us. And so our prayers finally come back to Jesus. Jesus perfects our prayers. And in Jesus, we come to know the Lord. So prayer is a conversation that God begins with us, with his friends. And through that conversation, the Lord listens to us, and the Lord helps us to come to know him more. And through that conversation, the Lord transforms us to know him better and to become more like him.